We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Well, this was an interesting long, long chapters. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It's, it's interesting that, that 41, though, is almost like the lead-in to 42. It's almost like, hey, just so you know, big thing coming, you know. <laughs> One thing I found interesting was when I see that the Lord use like a very uh, precise or very clear commandment that you cannot misinterpret. Do this or do this, you know. If you do this, do this. Then I I hanged on I held on to that and then kept reading and then there was always additional information or context about that which I think is important because the the part that I think is dangerous is when we take something said here and we take it out of context and then copy and paste it in our modern day you know to say because it said so here you know and and that's the risk with all scriptures all scriptures taken out of context in not that there's anything terrible but um there are certain there's certainly some principles here that are points of argument in our current society yeah how do we do this how do we do that and then i saw that there was a difference between the lord's law and the law of the land and then there was also a lot of I think the the what the early saints and the leaders were seeing was we now are gathering saints from all parts of the world with different cultures, different interpretations of the scriptures, different habits. And how do we unite these things? Like how do we become united and are we not uh, just scattered, everybody kind of doing their own thing? Which is kind of the role of the leaders of the church they are to kind of set the pace and the cadence for everybody and also establish what is what is the gospel what what are we um how do we worship how do we do our covenants how do we interact with each other things like that so there is a little bit bleeding into like governing these societies through church um principles and and and, and the law of the lord and then there's also how do we work in the law of the land how do we interact with our neighbors? You know, how do you know, how do we take care of each other? And that, you know, at this time, you have to also realize there there was no social security, there was no unemployment office. You know, some of these things that we think are are tasks that the government is supposed to do did not exist during this period of time. And yeah. so you're having immigrant um, or not just immigrant, but saints moving and having to relocate so they can be together so they can be where the covenants are where the church is 
you know, where, where the leaders are. And you're, you're, you know, you need to find how to take care of them, you know. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because we're looking at a group of people who, like you said, are increasingly more and more diverse, uh, especially as you get people coming from other countries to join. There are different perspectives. There are different socioeconomic classes. There's rich people. There were rich pioneers that went over the plains on, on wagons. They didn't do handcarts, you know, because they could afford it. There were some that took ships and then trains and whatever different routes that they went my ancestors, I don't know what their class was, but um, one time they went to Philadelphia and then rode a train to Iowa and then from there took a wagon. And then another time they actually went to New Orleans and took a steamboat up the Mississippi and then took and then went across the plains after that. I mean, you're talking about all these different ways of getting around, all these different ways of doing things, and you're trying to get them all under one flag, right? Yeah. And that's a challenge. Because just the different perspectives that people have, the different ways that they view the scriptures, the different ways that they see things as being right or wrong. One of the things that I kind of wanted to point out, I've actually found an article on History.com from the History Channel. Five 19th century utopian communities in the United States. And it kind of just highlights five different communities that were kind of trying to, they weren't necessarily religious, but they were trying to establish like this is our utopia, right? This is our view of utopia, and it's pretty amazing actually. Um, it says that there were 80 utopian communities launched in the 1940s in the 1840s alone. 80. Um, and if you look at you know from the outside, if you look at you're not a member of the church, you're looking at our church as another one of these, you can kind of see how. Everybody struggled with this at some point as they're trying to establish their kind of utopia, establishing laws, rules, regulations, and being consistent and trying to blend everybody's wishes into one thing really led to the downfall of all of these. Um, There's one that's called uh, Brook Farm, Transcendentalist Romance. Uh, There were a bunch of people who wanted to get together. They farmed land together and held fruits of their labor in common. That would give their settlers more time to pursue their own literary and scientific interests. But there was a lot of infighting and money troubles, and they disbanded only after a few years. There's another one, Fruitlands. None of the people who were involved in this were actual farmers, but they decided that they were going to farm land and sustain themselves, even though none of them had ever done that before. They started change. The guy that was main in charge started changing the rules about halfway through, saying okay, now we also have to be celibate and we also have to do this and that. And people were like, wait, what? And it broke things down. And every single one of these five, and maybe I'll put this link in there just because it's kind of interesting. It was always something, some changes, some kind of impact that came in. And, you know, the the Latter-day Saints were not immune to having some of these similar challenges of infighting, of money issues, especially early on in the church. But the difference is, and you can see with these groups and with the the Latter-day Saints, these were not led by God. They were not led by a prophet. They were led by somebody with a good idea or with a mediocre idea most of the time who just thought, wait, what if we did this? And then you you can kind of see how the Lord takes all these people and all their weaknesses, including Joseph Smith, and says, in the end, we're going to establish the New Jerusalem. That's the objective. In the end, we'll get there. 
we got a lot to do before that, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to set the framework and I'm going to walk you through this process as we go. And it might be 200, 300 years from now that we actually get there. But all of this is setting the foundation for the future. And it's interesting how his his hand is constantly in there to kind of bring things back into context and remind people, even telling, you know, uh, Edward Partridge, you're going to be called to be bishop and I want you to leave everything else aside and just do that. You know, we would never be asked to do that today. No one would ever come and say, Feely, you're going to be bishop now and we need you to quit your job. You'd be like, what? But back then that was required because it was like, in order for this to work out, you're the first bishop ever. For this to work out, we need to work out all these kinks and we need you to understand how this calling works in the church. He's the only one. So he's over the entire church, kind of like a presiding bishop almost. But it's just interesting to see how even though 80 of these kind of utopian societies were established in the 1840s, most of them failed just because of the natural man causes. Well, but it also shows like the fact that there are all these groups that were trying to find utopia. They were trying to establish the, the perfect society, that there was a hunger for doing things the right way. And there were people trying and some of it was maybe manipulative. Some of it was maybe taking advantage of other people. But a lot of it was probably just like, hey, I think this would work. I think this is a really good idea. Will you join me? And they were trying. And so, like you said, once they start, once they get the mandate to go out and start teaching the gospel and they start getting people to to join, you see that the saints start to grow pretty quickly. And I think it's because there's there's this need for hope for a better future hope for what can we become someday and it's something that resonates with us today when we talk about the new jerusalem when we talk about just our our divine objective of becoming like our heavenly father again like all of that it can happen someday if we well, follow what we the lord's telling us now talk a lot of times in doctrine covenants that it spells out you know these celestial laws you know and later on we'll learn about if you want to go to the celestial kingdom, you have to obey the celestial laws. Or if you want to go to celestial, then the celestial laws, like different levels of of behavior, commandments, and commitment type of thing. And I think that's true of everyone. I think in all governments, all throughout the earth, you have individuals seeking for something better. You know, seeking for we don't have to live after the manner of the natural man. You know, we can be organized. And I that's what I think. Like especially President Oaks' talk during conference was so powerful because it kind of spoke to that 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 sentiment of improvement, agree upon as a society and do better things, is been has been sprinkled around the entire globe, you know, and just as the Constitution has inspired principles, other constitutions have inspired principles as well, you know, that are built upon, you know, rule of law being having organization, taking care of each other. And I say that same hunger exists today, you know. It has not gone away. We are all hoping and wanting a better civilization. And the ultimate civilization is that celestial civilization we came from. And we're here to train ourselves and to obey and develop and overcome so we can be a member in such a great civilization. And Christ has said, I'll teach you how. And his teaching is, here are some commandments, obey these, 
when you master that, you'll be given a little bit more, a little bit better. And when you master that, you'll be given a little bit better. But sometimes we're like the three-year-old that says, just give me the keys to the car. I promise I can do it. And you're like, that's not how it works. There is a time for that, but but you're just a three-year-old with keys, right? Like I, I you have to, and, and that's, I don't know, that's what I feel like when he says, you know, my house is a house of order. I really like how in in section 42 in the manual, it kind of breaks it into different chunks with different topics. It, it says in there, it might help you to read section 42 in smaller portions like the following and identify the principles taught in each. So I thought maybe we could go through each one of those little sections because this is kind of a long uh, chapter. But when you break it down like this, it's it's a lot better. And I think that first section is obviously about missionary work. It says in verse four, I say unto you, I give unto you this first commandment that you shall go forth in my name, every one of you, excepting my servants, Joseph Smith Jr. and Signe Rigdon. And I give unto them a commandment that they shall go forth for a little season and it shall be given by the power of the, of the spirit when they shall return. And this is really when we're starting to talk about an active and organized missionary work. It used to be that it was kind of like, oh, Oliver is going to go to upstate New York and give some speeches. And Joseph Smith is going to give a speech in so-and-so's barn, you know. And it was kind of like impromptu, half-planned, but not really like an, a missionary effort. And this is the Lord saying, hey, uh, we need to get organized with this. Tells them to go uh, two by two, I think, in here as well. In verse 6, and you shall go forth in the power of my spirit, preaching my gospel two by two in my name, lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump, declaring my word like unto angels of God. And it tells them to baptize, teach the gospel, baptize people, and then bring them back uh, to the group. And you shall build up the church in every region, it says. And this is like something that extends to today. This is not unique to them. This was just the first time they were being told officially Here's how to do it. Here's what my expectations are. Now go start. And it it's still the same mandate that we have today. You know, continue to go preach the gospel. That's why we're. That's probably the most recognizable thing about our church still to this day. Are missionaries walking around? <laughs> when he says, and the the things of this um, of the kingdom will be taught by the weak and the simple. Like <laughs> like you know you know as a missionary you're all you have is you have a little testimony and not very much life experience. But when you're faced with there's a family, there's a crisis, there's a husband and wife, or there's this, all these situations, it's like the only thing I can pull on to, to help is my testimony. I know God loves us. I know he has a plan for us. And that to us may seem really like, well, that's not going to fix my problem. But to them, I've seen it many times with individuals. It's like it's all—it's a comforting fact that although we're in a storm and we don't see a way out, that there is a path, you know, that there is there is a savior, that there is a plan to all of this, right? You know, I, I like how they mentioned that the church uh, published kind of this section, section 42, the commandments, kind of, in, uh, in two Ohio newspapers, and they tied it with the law. And it says it's not all-encompassing, that there were more things that were, you know, written than the, that were printed. 
but I I often wonder why if that was not if that was also a missionary tactic, and also letting the neighbors know, hey, we're not that weird. This is what we believe. You know? <laughs> yeah. These are all good things. Because if you were if if you were to read or just slightly rewrite these to like more modern sounding uh, sentences, I would have a hard time finding anyone who would disagree with any of this. You know, starting in like section 19, you know, I shall not kill, I shall not steal, I shall not lie, I shall love thy wife with all thy heart and cleave unto her none else. That 23, thou shall not lust after others. 24, not commit adultery. And then, and then, you know, it kind of, we see a semblance to the Ten Commandments, but then you see some additional things like 26 and 27, thou shall not speak evil of thy neighbor, nor do him any harm, you know. Just that alone, in the if we were to open up a local or a national news website, and if we were to say, let's apply, thou shalt not speak evil of thy neighbor, nor do any harm, how many stories could we just evaporate out of there? If, if this principle was used, how many of these things could be gone from, from just normal everyday society? You yeah. know? So I really like the Lord. A lot of times he, he explains things through a principle and then gives us actionable, practical things that follow. Well, in... It's interesting also that he feels the need to list all of this. These were all, the majority of them anyway, were probably familiar with the Ten Commandments. And this is a lot of the Ten Commandments again. But he lists it anyway because I think he's saying, all right, once again, I'm getting people from all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, philosophically religious backgrounds. I need to just double check with everybody that we're all on the same page here. This stuff still applies. Ten Commandments still apply, you know, and here's the things you shouldn't do. And if you do it, you should be cast out. If you do it and don't repent, you should be cast out. I, I find it interesting that it starts out with missionary work and then goes right into, by the way, here's the basics that everyone should and shouldn't do. And then in the next section, uh, in verse 30, that will remember the poor and consecrate of thy properties for their support, that which thou hast impart unto, to impart unto. And inasmuch as ye impart of your substance unto the poor, ye will do it unto me. And they shall be laid before the bishop of my church and his counselors, two of the elders or high priests, such as he shall appoint or has appointed and set apart for that purpose. Then the very next thing after we need to go out and spread the gospel, here's the basic principles of the gospel and like just things you shouldn't do and things you should avoid. The very next thing is share. Think about those that are less fortunate. Because like I said, you're having a group of people with all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different economic status, and there are people who are perfectly fine to pick up and leave and go somewhere else. And there are other people who that was the biggest challenge ever for them. It's, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. I've never looked at it this way, but, you know, from 19 to 27... We get thou shall not, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't speak ill of each other. And then right after that, take care of each other. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder how if, if it's we need a minimum critical boundaries that everyone will follow. And now, in order to help people follow those, you need to do the next step, which is take care of each other and in order to take care of each other in part of your substances to the poor 
um, you know, in in consecrate, you know, the word consecration and residue are two things that that stuck out in my mind here. This would help people not going and breaking these commandments, you know, and vice versa. By by doing these, you will be better suited to do these things. I don't know. I just find that really interesting. But I was looking in the Webster 1828 dictionary for the word consecrate, what it means. And and it's it's pretty much the same as it is nowadays, but but the first definition is to make or declare to be sacred by certain ceremonies or rites, to appropriate to sacred uses, to set apart, dedicate, to devote, and to serve and worship God. And then there the 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 number three and number four uh, definitions were kind of cool to set apart and bless the element to re render venerable to make respected as a principle of consecrated by time so i thought about this and i thought in a way this is kind of the lord's social program to help take care of the the members who are struggling right who, who need help or the poor. And, and even I think the same principles are used for the church uses to take care of non-members. You know, we see during conference, there were millions and millions, if not billions, it might've been billions, I don't know, of dollars used to help nations and societies around the world that needed help, you know. Um, the really coolest one I remember during conference was that, that food making truck, uh, the bread making truck. I don't know if you saw that one. Mm -hmm. that was just really cool anyway but what i'm getting to is there's definitely something here about taking care of the poor and giving of our substance and in order to give you also have to control your expenditures if 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 any excess or residue that you have you use up in things that maybe you don't need if you think i don't have any residue because i use everything that might not be the right thing as well right like we have to control our needs and our wants and, and those kind of things but this term consecrate means that when we give something it is holy we don't talk bad about it we don't criticize it and i think in our current society giving or charity has become almost like a curse word it's become a word to say you are wasting money you're enabling bad behavior you know a lot of bad things not without cause there's there's reasons why people feel that way and, and and stuff but the lord then talks about it later on you know he says um in verse 40 and 42 he says in 40 he says and again thou shalt not be proud in thy heart that all thy garments be plain in their beauty and the beauty of thy works of thine own hands and let all things be done in cleanliness and thou shalt not be idle for he that is idle should not eat the bread nor wear the garment of the laborer. So there, there's balance to what the Lord is asking. He's not just saying, go, go support a group of people that don't, people that don't want to labor. But it's also for us that are in need. We need to look for every way of laboring. You know, are we in need because we don't want to work, or are we in need because we don't, we can't work, or you know that kind of thing? And so there's, there's always balance and wisdom to how the Lord sets things up it also shows in the manual 
under that heading, how did the saints consecrate their properties to the poor? An important part of the law revealed in section 42 is what came to be known as the law of consecration and stewardship. This law taught the saints how they could, like the followers of Christ, anciently have all things in common with no poor among them. The saints consecrated their property by giving it to the Lord through the bishop. The bishop returned to them what they needed, usually what they had consecrated and more. Members donated their surplus to help the poor. This law was a great blessing to the saints, especially those who had left everything to come to Ohio. Many saints were generous in their donations. You think about that and go back to Edward Partridge for a moment as he's called to be bishop, full-time bishop. Now you understand why. Because <laughs> he's taking in everybody's stuff and then giving it back according to their needs. And I'm sure there were people that were like, but I'm used to having this amount. And he's like, yeah, but we're going by needs. It's what you need and a little bit more maybe. And then whatever's excess is donated to the poor without you know, having to go back into a pool or anything. I think that's a, an, an extremely equitable way of doing things. It's also extremely challenging to maintain that because our nature is to want more. Our, our nature is to feel insecure if we don't have extra, right? And so we always want to hoard more or save some for later just in case. And what happens if I get injured and can't do it, then I have to just rely on everyone else? In this situation, yes, you did. Or if you showed up in Ohio, having moved from who knows where, and you had nothing left, yeah, maybe for the first while, you're only getting stuff. You're not able to donate a lot. You're not able to contribute much to the pool, right? But the idea is, thou shalt not be idle, or he that is idle shall not eat, right? Okay, so now that you're back on your feet, now it's time to contribute to the cause. And and then it goes on to say, though we do it differently today, Latter-day Saints still live the law of consecration. As you read, ponder how you can consecrate what God has given you to build his kingdom and bless those in need. And going back to your definition of consecration that you read, it's not so much that the amount or it's more the purpose. I have designated these donations for this purpose. I've designated them for the betterment of my neighbor for the betterment of the gospel for the betterment of the church right whatever it may be if it's through tithing if it's through fast offerings when i make that donation i do it willingly and i do it with the purpose of what's the objective of this in my mind not just i need to donate more or i'm donating too much and that makes me look even better you know no what's the purpose you're consecrating it you're putting meaning to that well you you also need to realize that there's kind of stages to progression. These early saints, like you mentioned, a lot of them immigrants had nothing. I need to get a job. And it's funny because some of the greatest things built by the saints and this grand legacy, especially the Salt Lake Temple, was donated time yep. by people who were laborers, who learned their tasks out there and somehow brought it here. The architecture that we have is unique for America, because it is like an old world European architecture that came from these laborers, these stonemasons and architects and, you know, that kind of thing. But I look at verse 32 in section 42, where it says, and came to pass that after they had laid, this is uh, when they lay, you know, their substances before the bishop and the church. And after he had received the testimonies concerning the consecration of the properties of my church, that they cannot be taken from the church, agree 
agreeable to my commandment, every man shall be made accountable unto me, a steward over his own property, or that which he has received by consecration, as much as it suffices, as is sufficient for himself and his family. So another misconception of the law of consecration is that it removes personal accountability or personal property. It does not do that. You have personal property, you have personal accountability. And that's something that I really like because we're, we're having, sometimes we want to apply a principle and we think it's only, it's, it's like only a one directional principle. Sometimes there's dichotomy to things. And just like the children of Israel, when they received manna, they received exactly what they needed because they needed to exercise their faith. And if they tried to save it for the next day, it would spoil, right? The only time they could save it was when the Lord told them to. Now you can save it on Sundays so you don't have to pick any Sunday. So, so the day before Sunday, gather a little bit extra and that won't spoil. But where were the children of Israel led? They were being led to a land of bounty and promise. But first, they're going to have to learn to work, live within their means. They're going to have to walk by faith and they're just eating manna. When you master that, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey where you're going to have access to an, a way that you don't understand. It's just, We see the same principle in the Book of Mormon. How many times have they been led or Alma in, in, his, in his group were led out of captivity from, from King Noah's priests and they had almost nothing. They were being smitten upon the cheek, I think is what it's called. And then they end up reaching Sarahemla and now they have bounty, you know. And sometimes we think that some of these things are, well, if we always give away what we have and, and then we're all just kind of poor together as opposed to have bounty, you know. And that's not the principles. The principles here is you're going to be richer than you've ever been. Because the, the law is, if you keep my commandments, you'll prosper in the land. But the thing that really nails this home or drives this home is you're going to have later on the united order and all these things that ultimately fail. But the church will continue to live by these principles and look at the church now. It is well to do. It has many properties. It is building temples at an ever increasing rate. And it is because right here we're seeing manna from heaven. Only pick what you have. And you're being led to a promised land. You know? And the promised land isn't necessarily a location as much as it is a, a unification of your hearts. And, and the Lord will make wherever you are that sacred sign location. You know? Anyway. Well, yeah. And then it goes in, after he's talking about that, it goes into the reason why you should be thinking in this community way. And that is in verse 43, and whosoever among you are sick and have not faith to be healed, but believe shall be nourished with all tenderness, with herbs and mild food and not be not by the hand of an enemy. And the elders of the church, two or more shall be called and shall pray for and lay their hands upon them in my name. I guess verse 45 is probably the best one to illustrate this point. Thou shalt live together in love, insomuch that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die and more especially for those that have not hope of a glorious resurrection. He's saying you should be so close to one another and care about each other so much and the well-being, not only physically, but of your souls, that everything matters to you. 
about the other people. That you're never looking at it and saying, ah, oh, that's not me. It's not my business. But you look at it and you say, gosh, so-and-so's having a hard time with their testimony. And that affects me because I want them to be happy. So-and-so is having a hard time feeding their family right now because the parents are sick or someone got injured or whatever. That affects me because I care about them so much. And how many times do we look at it and say, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll I'll throw something at it. You know, we, maybe we can do a GoFundMe, you know, and pass around a clipboard. Yeah, we'll pass around a clipboard. We'll do a GoFundMe or whatever. Well, we'll they'll, they'll be fine when it's like, yeah, but do does it really resonate in that way that you feel it, too? That that was very impressive to me as I was reading this, because I was like, it's easier to do with a small group of saints like that. Because it's not a 15 million person worldwide church. Like, how do I feel that affinity towards someone in, you know, in Ghana? I, I, I love them, I guess, but I don't really know them. But then that gives you kind of a perspective on this is a ward. The entire church is basically a ward at this point. Maybe a small stake. And that's kind of why we're divided up into smaller groups so that in your award, you you do have a chance to get to know those people. You see them at least every Sunday. You probably are neighbors with them. And you know a little bit more about their lives. Do, does, do their successes, do their failures, do their challenges, do they affect you? Are you looking at this with the love of Christ? This is kind of a reminder for us. You know, if this is the law that he gave the saints in the first part of the church, it's a, it's a wake-up call for us. Are we doing that too? Are we remembering to consecrate time, consecrate our our gifts, whatever they may be, to the betterment of the church? Well, there there's also when I look at the examples, and, and later we learn about the New Jerusalem, and the Lord promises great things. But we look at the scriptures as we read them, and we have seen in in the history that there's. We receive according to that which we are willing to receive and prepared to receive. We have great examples like the city of Enoch. They they got these principles correct. And they kind of graduated and were taken up to heaven, right? It's like yeah. you've mastered what we've sent you here to do because you follow these principles, right? And then we have situations like Israel being led out of Egypt where you're doing kind of the bare minimum, so I'm going to give you a bare minimum law where, you know, you're kind of stiff-necked. You're unwilling to just let go of some bad habits. So I'm going to give you a really strict law that's based on rites and rituals so you can remember the greater law, which is Christ and his sacrifice. And it's kind of hit and miss all the time, you know. it's kind of So if we put ourselves in this situation, you know, we can easily view this chapter as something that either the church will eventually announce or do or how the church is, or we can view it as ourselves. Like, where am I on this spectrum? Do I feel these desires to help others? In in my helping others, am I doing it for my glory, my, uh, you know, pride? Or am I working on caring for others? Like, what can I do? What, how can I assess where I'm at, what feelings do I have? And if we take the example of of Moroni chapter 7, where it talks about charity, the pure love of Christ, and it gives us the example that even if you do all these things and you have all the commandments, 
and you're perfect in all ways, but you don't have this pure love of Christ, this this real intent, the honest intention to do good, it doesn't profit you or anything, you know. So if we find ourselves reading these chapters, and, and it's it's fascinating. But if we're not putting ourselves in these chapters and asking ourselves, I think we're missing a big opportunity to change and to adjust and to really ask ourselves, what do I consecrate to the Lord? You know, where, where is my heart and how how am I how am I applying these principles in my life? Because the church will never make you. The church will never make Zion. It's the individual members. The Lord is ready. The Lord is wanting to give us as much as we're able. But it's not going to be. The ch- you know what I mean? It's not going to be the church that does it. It's yeah. the individual members. And it's that's going to be the church that comes and says, okay, now we're going to start, everyone. This is the moment you've all been waiting for, you know. Instead, it's going to be like, no, we've we've been talking about this for a long time. And we're just waiting on everyone to get on board. Well, it's it's wonderful because temple tithing, fast offerings, you know, uh, Mormon helping hands. There are many opportunities to consecrate funds, time, energy. And then there's and all of those kind of seem, you know, external. Then there's like the internal ones. Like, what are you doing inside your home? You know, if you can't do these principles inside your home, you're not going to do them half across the world. If if you know, do you know your neighbors? You talk to them. Like, what do you know about them? Do you know when they're? Because it's hard to that that um, that verse you shared shall nourish with all tenderness, with herbs and mild food, and not by the hand of an enemy. That is not possible if we don't know each other. Let alone know each other in a way where you know when someone's having a hard time. It, it almost looks like some practical, like, conflict resolution advice given. Hey, if, um, what's it called? Verse 88, if thy brother or sister offend thee, thou shalt take him or her between him and her and thee alone. And if he or she confess, thou shalt be reconciled. What I did not read in there is, if that brother and sister offend me, make a passive-aggressive post on Facebook. That's not even <laughs> aimed at that person, but you're just shouting it at the world to see who can agree with you so you can internally double down on your resentment and hate towards this person. I might have missed that verse, right? Right. You know? And then, you know, it talks about, well, if they do it in public, if they do it to the church, talk to the elders, if they're caught you know, fornicating or doing adultery, then you should have some witnesses, but make sure the witnesses aren't the enemies. You know, you're trying to give them a fair trial. You're trying, you know, some basic things where it's like, let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt and then give it up to them. Do you want to be part of this? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to not do it again? And if not, then you have no place here. You know, it's it's funny because we always, we go to, to cast them out or to kill this person or whatever, we almost always go there very quickly, but we don't realize that there are many levels and stages. And just as the Lord does not cast us out after our first transgression, there are principles of how often should you forgive? Seven times 70, you know? If, if, if they slap you, turn, what, the other cheek or, you know, counter with the right hook. Like, which one is it? You know, and in here it's more like 
How do we govern our church meetings? How do we, you know, because there are people that are going to feel faulted that are going to come and say, hey, Bishop, what's going on? Solve this problem, you know. And so the bishop uses some of these principles. And now there's even more. There's more revelation being given called the Church Handbook of Instructions, right? Which is published and everybody can see it and can read and can say, you know, these is that the church conducts its orderly affairs. You know? Well, I think it's important to have that. And I think it was important for them to have this at that time because when things are so open to interpretation sometimes it can lead to even greater confusion and chaos and when you already got a lot of people trying to do their best with good intentions to live a, a certain lifestyle or to follow a certain uh, philosophical principle of religion it's good to say okay now that we're all here in ohio and now that everyone's coming here now we know this is our home base let's set some ground rules just so that we all are on the same page and to have the the manual of instructions now is the same principle we're all in the same boat the uh, the principles here apply to everyone no matter where you are no matter where you're from no matter how old you are uh, no matter who was prophet when you were born like this is all the same now and we will update it as needed and it will update across the board and it just shows once again how much the the lord is a a fan of order let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing for we are laying the foundation of a great work even preparing for the return of the savior my dear brothers and sisters jesus christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love he invites us to come, follow me.